The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Together, we pray all this today, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, if you have your Bible today, we are going to be in 2 Peter 3.18, 2 Peter 3.18, and this is one of those, uh, we're calling it a Nelson moment. Nelson doesn't do this, but we're naming it after him because it just makes sense in some ways. I had a completely different sermon prepared through the week, and yesterday hit the audible button, and uh, I pulled a Nelson, which means on a Saturday, I'm, I'm frantically trying to finish my sermon, which is not normal for me usually done by midweek, uh, mid to late week. But today, I want to go through briefly. If you look to the back of your bulletin, you're, you're saying, we're going to be here all day. No, it's not as bad as it seems. But I want to go through 11 keys to spiritual growth. If you're visiting our church, this is not a normal sermon that we give. We typically go through verse by verse in an expositional way, finding the meaning of the text and making that the central big idea of what we're talking about that day. Sometimes that's hard, sometimes that's easy. But today is a one-off sermon. Next week, if you've been following us, we will be back in the book of Revelation starting next week in chapter 11 with the goal, praise the Lord, of finishing up Revelation by uh, the 1st of May, give or take a week or so. Does that make sense? If you're able to stand this morning, would you stand once again as we read 2 Peter chapter 3? We're going to start in verse 14 and actually go down to verse 18, and I will tell you, this is not how we typically preach. We are going to read this verse, but we are going to be giving you lots of different verses today. It's a topical sermon. It's not sinful or ungodly. It's just different today. We believe the best diet for you, just like anything else, is to go through God's Word systematically, but it's also good in time and season to go through different topics of what it means to look at Christ from a different angle. Today, 11 keys to spiritual growth. Let's read 2 Peter 3. Peter is writing at the end of his life towards a group that uh, that has come in, and he's teaching them against false teachers, and this is what he has to say. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him, that's with Christ or God, without spot or blemish, and at peace, and count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. And verse 16, as he does in his letters when he speaks in all these manners, there are some things in his letters that are hard to understand which are the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. But you, therefore, beloved, verse 17, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of these lawless people, and therefore lose your own stability. But, here it is, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That is our prayer for you this year, is that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? And I want to go through these keys, and I pray if you've heard them before, they are a refresher and encouragement. If you're new to this, I pray that you will learn as ways you can grow this year spiritually, in any year, spiritually in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the the willingness that people have to come that you've given them to learn. 
Father, as we look at a different topic in a different way today, we pray all the same that you were glorified. May we take these little pithy statements and and keys as a way to see your growth in our life in the next years and, and weeks and months to come. Father, we love you. Thank you that we have a faith to grow in because, as Peter just said, it was your patience that led us to salvation. We pray all this today in his name, in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, tomorrow is one of the biggest college football days of the year, and every year in Pasadena, California, they have the uh, Tournament of Roses Parade. And many years ago, this float right here by the Standard Oil Company of California was out front of the parade itself. But there was a problem. The whole parade was held up because the Standard Oil Company float ran out of gas. Of all companies, with all resources at its disposal, and at the time, this was in the 50s, at the time, the biggest resources of gasoline in the world saved the Middle East. They had to run to the local HQ to get a can of gas to power up the float so it would keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. Pretty sad, isn't it? But I think that's how a lot of Christians are, if we're honest. A lot of us will get to this time of year, and we're barely sputtering to finish out the holidays, let alone a new year. But there's the optimism that comes from the start of a turning of a calendar. We're going to do everything that we didn't do last year again for the first two weeks, and then we're going to time out until the next year around this time, and so on and so forth, until we get a little full again, a little full, and a little fuel, and a little fuel. And we do that spiritually. We get so excited to read the Bible. We get so excited to share Jesus. We get so excited to go to church. And at some point, the routine becomes a burden, and we lose the love we once had for the things of God, and more importantly, for God himself in the midst of it all. We're not unlike that float. We just stop, and we need to be refilled again. So this morning, I want to look at some things that I think, in looking at our lives as Christians, we forget, and that we don't need to take for granted In fact, we need to be like Daniel was in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel was resolved not to defile himself. In the midst of all the craziness of the world, Daniel stuck to what he knew best. And that was praising God, growing in God, and holding on to God's word despite everything happening around him. And so we dare, as some would say, to be like Daniel. And as the days grow darker, a big idea will say today, our faith must grow stronger and our witness must grow brighter. But we have to have a foundation. We have to have these keys to spiritual growth that are necessary for us to continue on and not just stop our parade, as it were, in the middle of our spiritual journey. Because, look, you can make resolutions all day, and that's fine to a degree. You can say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But if these spiritual keys are not in your life, and if you're a Christian, then you're missing out on the greatest joy that comes, and that is knowing Christ himself. And so I want to go through these with you. I don't want you to fall asleep on them, but I want you to ask this simple question. Are these a reality in my life now? Not back when I became a Christian, not when I got baptized, not a few weeks ago, but am I living these out right now? Am I seeing them growing in my life right now? And I want to talk about them first. The first key of spiritual growth is one that we have to start with is you must know that you are saved. You must know that you are saved. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 says it this way, And when Jesus came and John was arrested, he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 
For some of you here today, you need to know for sure, to know that you know that you know that you know that you are actually a Christian. One of the greatest things that we have as pastors that is asked of us is, Pastor, how do I know? Not just when I'm in my deathbed, but how do I know I'm actually saved? Because everything we're going to talk about from here on out is, is, is not going to work unless you are truly saved. I mean, you can't or you shouldn't drive a car with the emergency brake on, right? I know many of you have done that. I've done that. You park on a hill, and the next thing you know, why is my car going so slow? Oh, uh, the emergency brake's on. Look, spiritually, you cannot grow if you are not saved. And the reality is, is that you must believe what Jesus accomplished. You must believe that he died for your sins. You must believe that he alone is the way to heaven, not your works or your sincerity or anything else you can bring. It is Christ alone. And if you know that, then you are ready to grow spiritually. But can I say a word to many who may be in this room? Maybe you've grown up in this church as a kid or an adult. Jesus did not plead with people to open their hearts, repeat a prayer, and ask him to come in. Do you know what he did in those verses in Mark 1, the first key to spiritual growth? He commanded them to repent and believe the gospel. If you're here today and you're unsure whether you are a Christian, can I ask you, how do you know that you're saved? Have you really given your heart to Christ or did you pray a prayer like a parrot back to someone at a rally sometime and they said, raise your hand, the lights go down, the music goes up and you repeat what the pastor says? Have you truly given your heart to Christ? And you know, you say, Darren, you know us well. I do. But I also appreciate many conference speakers I've heard who are pastors and they're speaking to other pastors. I appreciate the conference speakers the most who take five minutes to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because almost every conference you go to, there's a pastor somewhere who comes forward and says, you know what? I'm not really saved. I got saved because someone shared the gospel with me. I'm never going to assume it. But if you're a Christian, it starts with that level. You cannot know spiritual things unless you know the one who is of spiritual value, and that is Christ himself. So do you know Christ? Have you come to him? Have you given your life to him? The second key you need to know about is this, and this is one we just mentioned a moment ago, is you need to immerse yourself in Scripture. You need to go and run like those kids do when that pool first opens up in the summer, and you just need to run and just jump in the deep end, man. Go. Get yourself in. Colossians 3.16 says it this way, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. If you're a Christian, there should be a steady intake of the word of God. For some of you, it's listening to it because you drive and have a long commute or you're out and work and you do that. For some of you, it's reading it. It doesn't matter how you get it. Just get in the word and let the word, by God's grace, get in you. It's not about just checking off the boxes, but it is about knowing the scriptures. What should you know about the scriptures? Can I give you four quick things I think you should know? And if again, ask this question, are these a reality in your life? Number one is, do you know the storyline of the Bible? Do you know the essential storyline of the Bible? The Bible's not just about these random stories with moral good lessons that we teach our kids on radio programs or in TV shows or, or, or at Christmas time. The Bible is about a God who came on a rescue plan to glorify himself and save sinners like you and like me. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? And in fact, we see the gospel on every page. If you were in Genesis today, you saw Cain, a, a non-Christian, if you will, and Abel, the righteous one who lived by faith, that, that dual line of non-Christians and Christians all beelining towards the cross. 
Can I ask you, have you gotten in Scripture enough to know the basic biblical doctrine? Do you know what you believe? Do you know? We're in a world of confusion. Not only gender confusion, but also Bible confusion. Most people have never opened their Bible in a month, let alone a year. It's a scary fact. Do you know what you believe? And if you don't, talk to Nelson, Brian, myself. We'll help you. But it's also your Christian duty. You are commanded to be in the Bible. We are commanded to not depart. Let this word depart from our our lips and our mouths. In Joshua 1, we are to meditate on it day and night. And also because we are to be immerse ourselves in Scripture because that's what everybody else before us did. Friends, may we never take for granted what is given to us in this Bible. Not only the translation that we have, that we have the words of God at our access, but as you start a new year, are you immersing yourself in the Bible? Do you know the Bible well enough? And is it in you? And is it changing you by God's grace? That's number two. Immerse yourself in the Bible. Know that you're saved. Immerse yourself in the Bible. Number three. Number three is you need to grow, we need to grow, I need to grow to love and to worship God. Matthew 27, 37 through 39, you know these words well. And Jesus said to them, or said to him, you shall love the Lord your God, you can say it with me if you know it, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. You know these well. As we grow in our relationship with the Lord, it's, it, it, he becomes more precious and more glorious to us. He is the one who changes us. He's the one that we desire to be around more. As you're in the Bible, you want to worship him more because you understand him more. So can I ask you, when you come to worship, do you want to worship God for who he is and what he's done? Have you grown to love him? Because worship goes right with that. You've heard me say the phrase often, we are not worthy, but God is worthy. We are needy, but God is worthy. Have you taken all the knowledge that you have in the Bible, all the the things that you've learned and not just kept it in your head, but has it penetrated your heart? Do you truly know what it is to worship God? Jesus said it best, didn't he, in John 4, 24? He said, God is spirit, but those who worship me must worship in two things, in spirit and in truth. You can't worship God if you don't know the truth. Where do you get the truth? You get the truth right here. Don't be ashamed of this book. Don't be ashamed to read this book. And you might just put a little note in your notes. is Lord, help my heart to worship you and love you more this year and love the people that go with that, to love and worship God. The more we know him, the more we'll want to worship him. Can I put that in a, in a marital analogy? The more I got to know my wife when we were first dating, guess what? The more I wanted to be apart from her, that didn't make any sense. The more I knew my wife and got to know her before our marriage, the more I wanted to be what? Close to her. And you see that analogy. What is it in your life that's taking away from your growth and your love and worship of God? That's number three. Number four is this. You start with the foundation of the word, spiritual growth. It comes by knowing Christ. It comes by loving him. But number four, you also live in obedience to Christ. First Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with His blood. It's not according to our own agenda that we live in obedience to Christ. It's according to His. Obedience is of utmost importance. We grow to live for Christ. Where there is no obedience, there is no spiritual growth. Or in Jesus' words, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And as obedient children, 1 Peter 1.14, do not be conformed to the passions of this world. Here's the bottom line. If you're truly changed by God and God is growing you, who you are comes before what you do. Who you are in Christ becomes what you do for Christ. Your obedience is rooted in your identity in Jesus Christ. So often we get that backwards, don't we? We want to do things for Jesus without understanding who we are in Christ. We just want to go do and do and do and do and do, but we forget that it's who we are that starts where it's at. Because Christ has to change our hearts. And we know this is a church that serves so well. You gave so faithfully to two families over this break. We gave to with our Christmas family uh, uh, offering, or not offering, excuse me, uh, giveaway, uh, adoption of the families. And they were blessed, more than blessed, to get and receive physical things and hear the gospel and be prayed for and be ministered to. Thank you for that. But is your heart set on knowing who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you before you do what you do? I've used the old analogy before. But if I come home from a long trip and I give my wife one of those passionate kisses that make the movies, you know, all the the fireworks go off. And she said, what's that for? Well, on page 265 of the Good Husband Manual, it says, after a long trip, you should kiss your wife passionately. (laughs) Well, that might be a good thing. But my heart is simply doing what the book says instead of letting that be who I am overflowing into that action. Or you can do that for anything in your life. Is your heart set in obeying Christ because of who you are in Christ more than what Christ asked of you? That is a good question to be asked. And here's one, number five. This is really going to jolt us Baptist into some weird frenzy. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But what does Paul say? Be filled with the Spirit. You're checking to make sure you're at a Baptist church right now, aren't you? I'm just kidding. We believe in the Holy Spirit, don't we? Good theology teaches us that when you were saved, you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He came in your life one time. You don't have to speak in tongues. You don't have to do some weird uh, uh, motions and make cat and dog noises, as some churches say, to prove the Spirit's in you. You are proof of the Spirit walking in you with you when you walk by the way of the Spirit in love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So friends, you need to be filled with the Spirit. It is a command in the Scripture, Ephesians 5.18. Be filled. It's a command. Filling up with the Spirit is not some mystical thing. It is a prayer that, Lord, I desire that your Spirit would be, I'd be closer to your Spirit. Or to put it this way, Being filled with the Spirit isn't a matter of us having more of the Spirit, but it's the Spirit having more of us. What is it in your life, in your spiritual walk, that is keeping you from being more active in your love and obedience to Christ, to being more in His Word, to growing in that? I mean, if you love Jesus, it's because the Spirit proclaimed, come forth over your dead heart. Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or as one of those old dead guys said, he said, quote, to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with a love for God and a love for man. Can you look at your life, your spiritual life, and say, God is changing me. And that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control is evident in my life. 
Not perfectly, but is there growth in that? We are to walk in that. It is okay for you to pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Not for salvation or some crazy, charismatic sort of thing, but fill me with your spirit so I walk in obedience and love and worship and devotion to you. Maybe your spiritual life just needs to start right there. Number six, be filled with the Spirit. And I need this warning just as much as you do today. But you need to, number six, if you want to grow spiritually, you need to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil. 1 John 2.15. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't know what that looks like for you. For many of you here, that could be a substance. For many of you here, that could be images on a screen. For many of you here, that could be your favorite passion and hobby. For many of you here, that could be some overwhelming sense of you have to get people to like you, So, if, but if they don't like you, then you could fill this blank with whatever it is. Do not love the things of this world. I'm so grateful he did not say you can't live in this world. We're called, aren't we, to live in this world? But don't set your affections on things. Look, if we don't set our minds and our hearts and affections on things that are above, Colossians 3, 2, the pull of the world of the flesh and the devil will seize them. He will seize them and he will take them. The pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil will seize them away. So, friend, can I ask you today, have you prayed like Paul? Lord, whatever it is, I discipline 1 Corinthians 9, 27, my body, and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What is the sin in your life that is causing you not to grow spiritually? You say, I'm not sure. Pray about that. Ask God to show that to you. Pray with the psalmist, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, then show me that sin. You'd be amazed what God can do. Some of you know the sins that are keeping you from growing in Christ, and you're afraid to take them to Jesus like he doesn't know about them. Take them to him. He knows all about them, and he's ready to receive them. He's ready to forgive you, and he's ready to restore you like that prodigal son and bring you back into the fold. Or maybe for some of you here, it's like James 5 that we heard from Pastor Nelson. You need to confess your sin one to another so that you may be healed. I don't know, but something is pulling at you that's keeping you away from Christ. What is it? Where is it? Have you asked God what that is specifically? Number seven, and you're doing this here today, but we need to be in close fellowship with other Christians. We need to be in close fellowship with other Christians. Hebrews 10.25 says, we're not to neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I've said this a lot, but I want to say it again. The only thing in Scripture you're called to do all the more is to encourage each other. Did you know that? It is a command that you encourage each other all the more. Keep encouraging and encouraging and encouraging and encouraging. Because if you try to stand alone, you're an easy target. But as a, as a group, that's not the case. As we come together as a church on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, as the Puritans used to say, the devil attacks the ship that sails only, not the one in the armada. Let me say that again. 
The devil attacks a ship that sails alone only, not the one in the armada. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to make this your church home. We want you to be a part of this fellowship. We don't do it all right. We all live. One of our challenges here at Tower View, and has always been for years and decades here, is, is that we have people coming from all corners of the city to come right here. That can be a challenge. It's hard to get to know other people. But have we made the effort to meet people, even halfway in homes and other places? Those are questions to ask. But friend, you need to know what Spurgeon says. Satan attaches more importance to godly fellowship than we. Since union is strength, he does his best to separate us out. You may feel ashamed to come around other Christians because you have sin in your life. You may be afraid to come to church because you don't feel as holy or spiritual this week as others do. Would you pray about your heart? Would you ask God? Say, Lord, what is it that's keeping me from being around other Christians? If you're a Christian, you'll desire to be around other Christians. Can I be honest with you? I'm looking straight at the camera here. That camera is set up for people who are providentially hindered from being at Tower View Baptist Church. If you are able to get your rear in gear and get here physically or at any other gospel-centered church, then get there. Why? Because that's what God commands you to do. That's what's called for you to do. That live stream is a great help and it's a great need, but it's become a crutch for so many. I'm not preaching as anyone who uses it. Please don't hear and misunderstand. There are ways that keep you away. There's medical, there's travel, there's sickness. There's a lot of life events where that's a necessary thing. But if you're able to, by God's grace, to be here, why in the world would you not want to be around God's people? In a world that is going to hell in a handbasket, why would you want to be in that handbasket and not in the ark of salvation that God calls the local church? I've been told by outside people here at Tower View that we are attendance Nazis. Maybe so. But I'd rather that you know that you are called to be in God's house as often as God would allow you by your strength and situations than not to be, than to assume with a smile on my face, I'll see you next time. We don't see you until the next holiday. If you're able to be here at any gospel-centered church, we want you here. We need you here. I cannot grow unless you're here, and you cannot grow unless I'm here. And I pray you see that. And that's not just a, we've got to be here. I want to be here. I desire to be here, and I pray that's your prayer as well. Number eight, not only do we desire the fellowship of Christians, but number eight, we need to be in prayer before God. We need to be in prayer before God. Luke 5, 16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let me just give you five little tips that I've written about before and I've had to relearn this last year, I think, that have been helpful to me about prayer. First, when we least desire to pray is when we most and need to pray. So often, we have the prayer of Habakkuk who said, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. When I most need to pray is when I least desire to pray. Sometimes the only prayer you can say is, God, help me. God, give me the wisdom. God, give me the strength. I'm not talking long and drawn-out prayers. There's a time and a place for that. But sometimes starting to pray is just to pray and ask God to guide you. Prayer is often a fight. If you've ever tried to pray, you know it's a fight. 
You, you wake up early, you stay up late, you, you try and find a quiet place, you get tired, things go around in your mind, you have all these thoughts going here to and fro. It's hard to pray, Lord, give me the focus to pray. Lord, my heart is so cold right now. Would you warm my heart to pray to you? Prayer is a fight, but it's a fight that's necessary because to grow in Christ, a prayerless Christian, as has been said, is a Christless Christian. And that goes with number three. The weakest prayers yield the most grace. Sometimes the prayers that we have in our life, you remember Peter when he was walking on the water and he took his eyes off Jesus, what immediately happened to him? Kerplunk. And what did he pray? Three words, Lord, save me. Sometimes that's what you need to pray to ask God to revolutionize your life is Lord, save me. So not only those three, can I give you two more? Prayer is a necessity, number four, when you plow through the mundane of life. Sometimes we don't do it intentionally, but we don't pray because we figure that we've got it figured out. We don't need God's help right now. God, I got this. My strength is sufficient. I know I can do this. And then God just flips us up on the side of our head, and we realize we can't do it without him. Prayer is as necessary in the hardest times as it is in the most boring, routine, day-to-day times. A habit of prayer. And can I encourage you when you wake up each morning as you are able to make secret prayer, even for a few moments, the matter of prayer, before you look at your iPhone or I can't even think, the Android, I'm looking at Nelson because he doesn't have an iPhone. That's the only sin I can find against the man. (laughs) I love you, brother. And brother Brian, too. They both, uh, never mind. We love them both. Before you look at your device or the news or whatever it is that you wake up to, would you spend a few minutes just praying? You want to change your world, start with changing your own heart in the morning. You'd be amazed at what that does. Prayer is a fight, but prayer is necessary before God to grow. And I pray that we get that habit. And that's also a plug as you're taking those final notes on this, is that as you're able, we have a prayer group every Wednesday night at 6.30. No expectations. We do not going to look at you if you pray for one sentence or five hours. Well, we'd probably look at you and pray for five hours. We'd be here for a while, and that's okay. But we would encourage you, if you're able to, Wednesday night, 6.30, we have a prayer group, and you're welcome. Number nine, not only must we pray before God, we must come to the Lord's table. Come to the Lord's table. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to the prayers. You know, so many often churches have this big debate, how often do we do the Lord's Supper? You ever thought about that before? The Bible says, do this as often in remembrance of me. Well, how often is often? Is that every week? Is that every month? Is that every quarter? For some churches, it's twice a year at Easter and Christmas time. How often do you take the Lord's Supper? The Bible really doesn't say. It's it's less about the timing of it and more about the intentionality of it. And what I want to encourage you to do We are starting to show you, and we did this last month, or actually a couple weeks ago, Pastor Nelson led it. We're putting the Lord's Supper towards the front and middle of the service, which seems odd, because I know for many of you, it's hard to sit for an hour, even physically. It's hard to sit, and and you have to leave a little bit early, and that's okay. We want everyone to participate in this. If you're a Christian, unless some sin is hindering you, you are called to take the Lord's Supper. Unless there's some beef between you and somebody else, partake of the Lord's Supper. Come to the Lord's table. Come and and partake of what he has given us to do. If you love the promise, come to the Lord's table and ponder its price. 
This is why we've tried to strike that balance between every week and quarterly, and we do it once a month. We rotate through the months. But we want to ask you to grow spiritually this year and pray about not just taking the Lord's Supper because you take it, but to prepare your heart before, even the day before, and ask, Lord, what sin is in my heart? What sin is there between me and someone else that's in this church that needs to be taken care of? Lord's Supper is symbolic. We don't believe there is this uh, infusion of grace, as some believe, or that it's the actual body and blood of Christ. But we do believe that breaking of bread and coming together is a sign that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, as Paul said. But you'd be amazed how in some churches, and I think we can see that some in our midst sometimes too, how some will avoid the Lord's Supper because they feel so ashamed about where they are with Christ. Friends, the supper is for you. Come, ponder the price, confess your sin, and come before him. It's number nine. Number 10, two more guys, you're hanging in, good job. Number 10, have a place of service or evangelization. Have a place of service or evangelization. First Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. One of the marks of someone who desires to serve Christ is that he also desires or she also desires to serve Christ's church. I would confess to you, and we've admitted this, in the last couple of years since COVID, we have not released a lot of those opportunities, chances to serve to you as we had before. And that's on us. And we'll ask forgiveness for that again. But would you continue to pray, Lord, where is it at Tower View Baptist Church where I can serve? We have needs in the children's area. We have needs on grounds. We have needs for people to help set up and tear down. We have needs behind the scenes. There's a lot of needs that go on, even in a church around 100 that we are week over week. Do you have a place that you're serving? Do you have an opportunity? And I would encourage you, if you're physically unable to do those things, the number one thing we would ask you to do is pray for this church. Pray for us to be good stewards and responsible people before God. But I want to remind you today that the world defines greatness by how many people serve you. But Jesus flipped that on its head, didn't he? He said he defines it by how many people you serve. This world is not to be known by the counting of our heads about how many people are following us. It doesn't matter where we are, which ministries we serve, what church we're a member of. It's about his kingdom and not our own. And would you pray that as a church for us? Each month, we receive a monthly report that we get from our website that shows us how many visitors come to our website. This is not a pat on the back. This is not a look at us. But we, month over month, and Brian and Nelson can tell you this more, I would say at least 65 to 70,000 people around the world are coming to Tower View Baptist Church's website. That is the size of Liberty, Excelsior Springs, Kearney, Platte City, and Smithville, and maybe a few more thousand thrown in there every month. But you know what? Most of them, actually over 80% of them are foreign people from outside this country. And I only say that to say, you could look at that and say, man, this church is awesome. This church is amazing. No, if we're not serving the people right here, right now in our context, where we are in our neighborhood here, in our areas of, of our, our neighborhoods, wherever we are, then we're missing the boat. Those numbers are great. Praise God for them. But if we are not seeing our service happening right here within our own midst, None of that stuff matters. Who are you serving? Where are you serving? And in what way are you serving? You need to pray, Lord, I'm not where I want to be, and it's okay to pray that. It's better to be honest before the Lord than not. And the final thing is this. 
to grow in the Lord. Number 11, we must embrace and grow in our current trials. We must embrace and grow in our current trials. I just want to tell you, don't hate what God predestined. Where is Patsy? My dear sister, I put this in my notes just for you. Patsy's favorite word, or class's favorite word is predestinated. I don't know how we did that, but somehow we did. Praise the Lord. Don't hate what God has predestined for you. 1 Thessalonians 3.3. You know what he's done and predestined for you? You can read it with me. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For we yourselves know that we are destined, predestined for these things. What were you predestined for? Your best life now? No. This life is going to be hard. Your body's not going to work the way it should. Your mind isn't going to be as strong as it once was. Your your family is not going to be the great picture that everyone posts on Facebook and social media where they smile at the camera at the right time. If you get that down, come find me, please. (laughs) Your life is going to be hard. Your life is going to feel more like a mess than it is a put-together closet. But I want to remind you today that it is through these times that we often learn our greatest lessons. Our greatest lessons of faith and spiritual life are most often learned in the school of affliction. Christian, you were never promised an easy life here in this world. Many of you this last year, just looking over the faces in this room, you've lost people. Your body has gone different ways than even a year ago you thought it could. Your family has gotten crazier, and it hasn't just been at the holiday time. Everything has gone a little bit different. But can I encourage you this morning? There are no optional electives. It is a required class that you embrace whatever God puts in front of you and say, Lord, I don't know why you've put this in my path, but I know through it I can grow closer to you. You can be glorified, and may other people come to Christ. If you go in the hospital, we're going to pray for your physical health. 3 John 2 says, I pray it goes well with your health, that it goes well, but I pray also it goes well with your soul. If you're in the hospital, you know what our prayer for you is? That you embrace those trials and you embrace the opportunity to give testimony for Jesus Christ. You got them all memorized? You ready for the pop quiz? Number 11, if you can read it on the screen, you don't need glasses. Amy, if you just want to throw all those up, you need to know that you're saved. You need to immerse yourself in Scripture. You also need to grow in love and worship God. You need to live in obedience to God. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Lord, give me more of your Spirit. May he have more of me. You need also, number six, to resist the world, flesh, and devil. What sin is holding you back from serving Christ? You also need to be in close fellowship with Christians. And guys, can I just say a note on that too? Church hurt, quote-unquote, is a real thing. Some people have been hurt by people in the name of Jesus, and that is a real thing. And I don't take it lightly when someone needs a a time period to take a time out from going to a particular church for those reasons. But may we be in close fellowship as we can in these days. Be in prayer before God. Come to the Lord's table, number nine, and also have a place to serve. And we must grow in our current trials. There's 11 keys. I don't know for which one of these you need to pray over the most. Maybe all of them. I need them all. I don't know about you. I need all of these. But by God's grace, as you start a new year, may God use these as a way to grow you 
in the grace and knowledge of his son. Will you pray with me as we close today? Father, in all these things, we come to you, we thank you, we honor you. And Lord, I ask that you give us the time and the grace to reflect on what we've heard today. Father, we suspect for most in this room, what we've gone over today is things we've heard many, many times. But Father, I pray we don't have a false satanic guilt that we just do better or we do more or we do this or do that. Father, Saul and so many others sacrifice, but you don't desire sacrifice. You desire a, a pure and upright heart, heart that's open to whatever it is that you have for us. Father, I pray those aren't just words that we say, but I, I pray they're truly there. I pray that you start with who we are before you. You remind us of what you've done for us in Christ, that for those of us who profess faith, that we are saved not by ourselves, it's of Christ. It's all of your grace and gift. But Father, you would, you would show us and that Father, we, as we take time to reflect on this new year, as we close one and start another, that you would put us in a frame of mind to consider where we may be stumbling. Father, where may our heart be cold in some areas, but warmer in others, on that list and other lists. Whatever it is, Lord, help our hearts first and foremost be right with you, right with others, as we love you and love other people. Father, I thank you for my brother Brian, and Lord, we love him so much. As he sings this last formal song, Lord, this is just a, uh, a, a, just a, a tough thing because we love him so much. We love his family. So grateful for him. Would you bless our brother? Thank you for his love and leadership. Lord, we love you. We ask all this today in Jesus' name.